This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. There has been quite a slide in stocks in China over the last couple of weeks. Shares listed on the Shanghai market have fallen about one-third since mid-June and fell about 6% yesterday. But the problems have now spread beyond the markets. Chinese currency has fallen to a four-month low. Debt issued by Chinese companies is being sold off, and there are other factors as well. So with Greece a major concern for Europe and of course, having an effect in other parts of the world. Is China the next big global economic concern? We pose that question and more to Penn professor Jacques Delisle, who is the director of the Center for East Asian Studies. He joins us here in the studio. On the phone, we're also joined by Ann Lee, who is an adjunct professor of economics and finance at NYU. She is also the author of the book, What the U.S. Can Learn from China. Uh, Ann, great to have you on the phone. Thanks very much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Jacques, great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. Great to be back. Thanks. Uh, Jacques, this this really comes from a series of moves that the government uh, did to try and shore up the markets uh, that really haven't worked, I guess, to this point. Where did they go wrong? Well, I think um, they tried a lot of the standard tools, the toolkit. It's just a tough problem to deal with. And to some extent, their approach has been somewhat mixed. The, uh, the interest rate was cut by the central bank in a general attempt to goose the economy and, and have more money to perhaps go in and shore up the stock market. Uh, that's the sort of carrot side. And we saw sticks being put in the mix, too. Investigations of speculators, threatens to, threats to uh, prosecute um, those who are seen as spreading rumors about the market. Uh, and then, you know, then we went back to the sort of the sweeteners, um, things like uh, a $19.4 billion plan from the brokerage association to go in and buy up stocks, uh, the, the sovereign wealth fund, uh, its, its uh, securities arm, the central Huijin fund was going to go in, the pension fund was going to be allowed to buy some things, and then one more stick, a suspension of IPO. So they're yeah. sort of trying all these levers, but I think the general sense is they were too small to accomplish the task, and it would have taken a lot to accomplish the task. Uh, and so much of the issue is, did those steps signal to the relevant people in the market uh, that, that the government was really going to do what it took to step in and stop this. And I think you know the world isn't really buying that. Uh, <laughs> and there are a couple of reasons for that. One, I think, is that a lot of the trading, a lot of the, the shares held in the, in the Chinese stock market are held by mom and pop investors. I mean, they're not institutional investors. They don't have a long view. They're not very sophisticated. And so when the panic sets in, it tends to build. Uh, and I think uh, there may have been a little bit of hubris that under the current regime, which thinks of itself as remarkably sort of tough and dynamic and capable, you know, this is one of the first times they've tried something and it really hasn't worked. Uh, and I think that's that's part of the issue. And, and the other thing is when we've seen downturns in the Chinese stock market before, and we have, it's been mm-hmm. volatile for many years, you know, bracketing the global financial crisis impact. When we've seen those impacts before, it has been in the context of an economy that's been growing at 10 to 12%. Sure, yeah. And that heals a lot of wounds. And now we're seeing an economy that's already slid to seven, so there's a sense that there's a fragility uh, that just wasn't there before. And where do you see the problems? Well, I agree with his assessment overall. I would say that uh, the government uh, has you know, been a little bit heavy-handed in terms of all the measures they put in place uh, and in you know including encouraging companies to halt trading and i would say that uh because they don't have real estate as a, a way to generate consumer demand they were hoping that the stock market would uh get people to feel good and continue the consumer spending that they so desperately need to keep economic growth going and 
I would say that this is, you know, um, you know, it remains to be seen how successful they will be in halting this stock market route uh, because, yeah, when you have so many people who are individual investors as opposed to institutional investors, uh, and if they're doing it on margin, uh, those margin calls are going to put pressure. It doesn't matter, you know, what sort of announcements come from the government. These people, you know, have to honor their individual, you know, obligations, and that's part of what's the problem here. And um, and so, you know, it, it's uh, whether it's going to have a material effect on the economy uh, remains to be seen. It's still, uh, you know, less than 10% of the people who are in it, but yeah. still a significant number more than what has happened historically in terms of, you know, participants in the market. So then wh- where do you see a- as kind of the next step then uh, for China to try and uh, see if they can uh, slow this down? Obviously, as Jacques mentioned, uh, when you've got uh, growth in the economy, which is shrinking after unbelievably high growth, it's, it's you know, that's a big factor that you have to deal with. So what is the next step then? Well, China has already made lots of announcements uh, in terms of multinational projects such as the Silk Road, the AIB, and you know all those other projects are also designed to be growth levers uh, to generate job growth as well as um, you know other uh, commercial opportunities uh, that will keep the economy going as well as other countries um, getting them jump started to help uh, you know boost other um, areas of growth around the world and this you know will take some time to really take shape i know that it's uh you know happening quickly uh because a lot of projects are already underway for the silk road but um you know big large infrastructure projects uh are not as uh quick to materialize as stock market gains and so um so it's not clear when that might be able to offset, uh, you know, falling stock prices right now. Although I would say that because the Chinese government is so intent on making sure the stock market is a success, the fact that they are so aggressive in um, providing liquidity to the market, uh, it would be tough in the long haul for folks to fight the government. Uh, Much more like, you know, an analogy would be like what the Fed was doing in the U.S. during the financial crisis in 2008, where they were going in and buying trillions of dollars worth of, you know, asset-backed securities to uh, prop up the market. And so eventually, um, it does stabilize the market and then, you know, have things turn around and start going up again. Uh, But, you know, when that will happen, uh, it's unclear. And, um, but I will say that it's usually tough to bet against government measures. <laughs> Jacques, what do you see as, as maybe the next venue for the for the government? Well, I mean, I think they are committed to keeping the stock market from tumbling, uh, but it may require more efforts than have been undertaken so far. I mean, compared to what we saw in the U.S. in terms of, uh, of government actors, the Fed buying up equities, uh, you know, China's been fairly small bore. If you think back to the global financial crisis itself, China's stimulus package was actually, as a percentage of GDP, a good deal larger than the U.S.'s. Yeah. It went into infrastructure projects and shoring up banks and things like that. So, you know, if they're following the U.S. playbook and sort of doing what we did only more so, uh, you could see that happening if this if this continues. Um, 
you know, but there there is there is a real issue here, I think, in, in in two respects. One is there's a certain ambivalence about getting too far into this. Yes, they don't want the stock market to fall because of the possible ripple effects in the, econ- in mm-hmm. the economy, particularly the impact on those consumers who were counting on those run-ups, as well as a more general sense of sort of confidence in and a view of the competence of the government. I mean, they're very sensitive to that, and, and they can't afford a big hit when they're trying to do some very controversial things. So that puts a lot of pressure to get in and do something to keep this from happening. The problem is it coexists with two things. One is uh, is that this kind of intervention cuts against a lot of the reforms they've been trying to undertake. Mm-hmm. The idea has been to move the stock market away from a merits-based listing to a disclosure-based listing to allow more companies to have access that aren't just the big state-linked blue chips behind which the state, or the red chips in the Hong Kong market, you know, behind which the state in some sense stands and where they have lots of policy levers. Uh, the, the biggest uh, hits to stocks have not been to those guys. It's been to the smaller entities that are more recent entrants to the market. So, you know, do you abandon liberalization to shore up the market, in which case everybody wonders how serious you are about uh, liberalization. And the other thing is, as that related to that, is that it's not as simple a stock market as it used to be. It yeah. is bigger. It is a more diverse set of companies. Uh, it, is, it, it is, although still by international standards closed, it is more open. Uh, and so the levers don't work quite as effectively as they would have with a smaller uh, stock market with a narrower range of types of companies listed on it. We're joined uh, in the studio by Jacques Delisle, a professor here at the University of Pennsylvania and is also director of the Center for East Asian Studies. We're also joined on the phone by Ann Lee, an adjunct professor of economics and finance at uh, at NYU. Your comments and questions are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to uh, join in the conversation. Uh, and I guess with, when, when we saw so much incredible growth from, from China over the last few years and then to see it, it dipping down, is there some respect that, and I saw this written in a couple of locations, that uh, that part and parcel of this may be just uh, Japan's correction, or I should say China's correction going on? For their economy? Uh, well, it's impossible for an economy the size of China to grow at double digits uh, forever. I mean, there are, you know, limits to that. And, um, you know, just to put it in perspective, if China were to grow at 10% now, it would be like China growing the economy of the size of Saudi Arabia uh, in one year. So that's just, you know, really... Uh, almost just, you know, impossible to achieve. And so, yes, China inevitably has to slow down. Uh, Just how slow uh, is something that's debatable. Uh, The authorities have long been signaling that they want to focus on quality of growth as opposed to quantity of growth. And uh, and this is partly because they want to respond to uh, pollution concerns and, you know, inequality concerns. And so uh, the growth certainly um, will taper off, but they want to ensure that, uh, you know, people will still be employed. And at this point, that doesn't seem to be an issue. Uh, Unemployment is, uh, you know, low numbers in China, and the labor market's quite tight when uh, wage growth is growing at double digits. And so, uh, so if it's a, you know, slowdown like Japan, um, I would say at this point, it's probably unlikely, uh, given the other initiatives that China has on board. But, uh, yeah, it could be a hiccup here, and, um, and that's not unusual, given that all economies 
you know, have periods of slower growth. How, how much of a factor is also, because uh, oil plays into this uh, a little bit as well, and, and the volatility of the oil markets, especially uh, recently, uh, has, has been a factor in this, and, and there is a glut of oil on the market right now. Well, certainly it would help China, uh, because China's not exporting oil. Yep. They've been importing oil. So with cheaper energy, that certainly has fueled economic growth, too. Uh, and so with that, uh, it could actually you know, ease any uh, slowdown in other parts of the economy. And if, as China tries to gear up for more infrastructure building, then certainly cheaper energy uh, will be... Uh, aiding its its goals and as ann mentioned jock obviously the when you're talking about infrastructure that it's something that's just you, you can't snap your fingers and have it happen overnight it, it's it's a longer process but again it is a very important part to what china needs to build out especially in in certain of the remote remote portions of the country yeah, I mean, it's it's not snap your fingers, but it's closer to snap your fingers in China than it is in many other countries, including yeah. this one. I mean, yeah. you don't have to worry about, you know, too much in the way of neighbor protests and that sort of thing. I mean, it, that's hit things like chemical plants when you're talking roads and highways, sure. know, by and large, especially in the, in the sit more that, remote reasons. Sit there and take it. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's more blowback than there used to be, but it's, it's still a somewhat easier process. But you're right, it takes time. Uh, and much of uh, what's been on the agenda of the current leadership is to build out the infrastructure. You know, there's still building going on in the core eastern cities, but a lot of it is going inland, in particular, the sort of Silk Road, Iron Silk Road uh, yeah. attempts to do transportation links across Central Asia. You know, those are big investments. Um, they obviously <clears throat> do generate economic growth. But, you know, here again, we've got a bit of an ambivalence. That, that, is, that is something they're pushing for. Absolutely. It's a core part of the development strategy and the growth strategy. But at the same time, you know, China has been for several years now been trying to rebalance its economy away from a reliance on exports, which is a shrinking market overall to some degree and certainly uh, can contribute less to the rapid growth of an economy the size of China's, given how big China's economy is. Sure, now. Yeah. They've also been trying to rebalance away from investment and toward consumption. And so what's scary about the stock market uh, impact is to some degree, you know, what does it do to consumer confidence? Because it's, you know, it was, it, the 30% <laughs> fall followed a 150% run up. So the people sure, who really yeah. got slaughtered are, you know, the pigs that got into the last moment, if you will. Uh, yeah. yeah. So for a lot of people who are in for the longer haul, you know, if you look at the sort of size of the stock market relative to the economy, you know, what's your baseline? If it's the peak, of the one-year run-up, this looks terrible. If you dial back to sort of the period after the initial recovery from the, the global financial crisis, it's not so bad. The concern is more this unraveling effect. People who get called on margin call who go broke. People who decide they don't have the money they thought they had and they won't spend. How big is that effect going to be? Maybe not huge, but it's a drag on this strategy of shifting toward consumption. And all these other things, I mean, I think the biggest concern about growth in the Chinese economy is 7% you know, that was going to happen. They were going to come down sure. from 10 or 12. Yeah. But the question is, how much is 7% being sustained by throwing everything at it, right? If you're getting 7% with doing stimulus packages and propping up the stock market and big infrastructure packages, what does that suggest the real underlying growth sure, rate yeah. is absent those interventions? I think that's where the worries are starting to set in. Well, and, and they, yeah, you're exactly right, because if that 7% ends up being what, you know, 3 or 4% of true growth, because of the fact that you're adding in all this stimulus, then uh, then the economy is even even a bigger concern. Right. Or if you can sustain 7% only by going to relatively high bore tools, you know, you're constantly essentially got the pedal to the metal. And you know, what does that do? You may get 7%, but can you really sustain those tools? Yeah. Uh, and what is really the in terms of the Chinese economy right now, uh, what's the most important area for 
a focus that people from outside of, of the country should really be looking at in terms of the area of growth uh, that, that really needs to be pushed forward? Well, I would say that uh, they, they certainly are trying to push consumer and services. And um, I would say that even though there is a stock market route, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that there won't be continued growth in those areas. Uh, obviously, not everyone's in the stock market. You're talking about usually the, the wealthy folks who uh, invest in lots of property historically, and then this is sort of their play money in the stock market. So if they get dented, is that really going to affect everybody else? Uh, then you have also the fact that China still you know, has trillions of dollars of uh, foreign reserves. And so uh, even though, yes, you don't want to see government, you know, initiating all the uh, reasons for growth and juicing it up, but they do still have a lot of firepower there. And so for, I would say, the foreseeable future, um, the Chinese government is going to take the lead whenever there is instability um, in the economy and uh, use... Uh, those reserves to stimulate the economy through infrastructure building, through, uh, you know, whatever liquidity that they need to put into the economy. And this should give the rest of the world, you know, a sigh of relief in terms of, yeah, I don't think China is going to be falling apart like Greece. It's not going to be, you know, the next shoe to drop. Jack? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's both a lot of capacity and a lot of will. Right. Yeah. And this is a regime which has vast financial resources, has very smart people uh, doing economic policy, um, and is deeply committed to keeping the growth rate at some range. You know, most people talk about a 7% target now. Yeah. And they have a lot of means to do that. Uh, I think the concerns are, you know, how long can you do that for the relevant future for anything anybody's you know, looking at in the markets now? I wouldn't worry about it. Um, but it is a slightly different picture of China in terms of the longer term perspective. If you think that this is not just getting through a rough patch, but that we are sort of keeping the growth rate up through interventions, which you know can be sustained for a long time. The other concern is, as we've been talking about, some of these interventions cut against the kinds of reforms in the economy that this leadership came to power a couple of years ago, pledging to undertake, and that many people have been urging for a long time. Now, there's a real sort of you know, cart before the horse, chicken and egg kind of problem here in that sure. one of the reasons we see this kind of volatility in the stock market is you know people don't know quite how to value companies. There's a lot of uh, poor transparency, <laughs> the, the infrastructure of rating systems and, and uh, you know, investment funds, hedge funds, things like that. You know, that just isn't there. And so you know, what are you buying? You're making a lot of guesses. You add to that that a lot of the shares, some of them are owned by rich people, some of them are owned by institutions, but a lot of the volatility comes from relatively small bore people who are taking their savings and are you know, putting fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 into the market. Yeah. And those, of course, are often the people who rush in after things have already run up, and they're the ones who are getting hit now. So it's given all of that, you know, the, the good news is the linkage between what happens in the stock market and the real economy is not necessarily super tight. It's not a, a logical connection given the relative size of the stock market to the economy and given the, the ways in which share values don't tell you all that much. Yeah. Um, but you know, you do worry about sort of what the reaction is all the way down the road. So I think it's far from time to panic. And you know, you could wipe out Greece several times over and not, <laughs> not put a dent in the Chinese economy. Uh, so one needs to keep that in perspective. I'm by no means being doom and gloom here. I just think that you know, what we are seeing here are, are signs of not 
imminent catastrophe, but you know, signs of concerns and cracks. And I think you know, the real issue is going to be if they get through and when they get through, and they will, yeah. uh, the immediate stock market fall. What does this mean for some of the reforms on the agenda that actually cut the other way from the kind of state interventions we're talking about? Are, are we really even having this conversation if, if we don't have Greeks going on right now? Because as we said, a lot of these things that are happening in China, you know, we're, we're bound to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think the world's a pretty skittish place on economic issues right now. And and it, just as we were saying earlier, when China was doing 10, 12% growth, you know, stock market went up, stock market went down, who really cared? Uh, but the concern that anything can can upset the apple cart a little bit is, you know, is, is heightened now. And I think the world looks at, at China after the Greece thing, and, you know, they're both... Um, uh, economic problems, but the links between them are not terribly profound. I think it's just a general sense of, of uh, fragility. And and it does seem like th- that this is really there, there. There isn't much of a link whatsoever between the two, even though the, that there is concerns on both sides. Sure, I would say that people uh, on the street are probably concerned about China mostly because. They look around the world, and there are not a lot of uh, positive signs of growth anywhere except, you know, initiatives coming from China. And so the worry is that if you know, China is struggling, then what does that mean for the rest of the world, since China is the largest trading nation in the world, and so many nations depend on China's leadership in that area to continue growing. And so, uh, and so I guess when people hear that Greece might create havoc uh, with the EU, and that's also, as a block, a giant economy, um, then what's left would be Asia-Pacific. So this is, you know, I think scary to some folks if they don't quite understand what's really going on in China. And like I said, yes, this could cause a pause, but uh, certainly not something that should be a serious concern overall. It's going to be very interesting to uh, to watch out in, in terms of uh, of a time frame. Then, uh, when we're talking about you know uh, something that has to be watched right now, but realistically, in terms of what the Chinese government will need to do or want to do, time frame is it's important now to get it done now. But it's still something that's going to play out over over several months, a couple of years at this point. I mean, I think there's sort of a an immediate term and a somewhat longer term thing. I mean, the question is, will they? be successful in stopping the bleeding. Um, and, you know, there are a bunch of interventions, which look like they're probably going to do that. And we saw the big 25% fall, and a little bit of a bounce, and then a fall again. Yeah. But it, if you look at the trend lines over the last you know, month or so, uh, there's a real steep part that seems to have, at least for now, uh, ended. And, and you know, I think, as, as Anne was saying, this is a regime that's committed to, to fixing that problem. And that can be handled. I think then when everybody catches their breath, the question is, what goes on in, in the broader realm of economic policy? Uh, which has an impact on the markets, um, and what goes on in terms of of um, the reforms that would be necessary to have the markets be somewhat less volatile. The markets are way more volatile than anything that is the, the Chinese stock markets are way more volatile than anything in the economy really justifies. Sure. I mean, this is this is for all the reasons we've been talking about um, something that goes up and down in a way the economy just plain doesn't. So. You know, we also may see a period as, as happens happened before in, in in Chinese stock markets. I mean, historically, it's been quite volatile, but there have been yep. periods of high volatility and relatively low volatility. And when you get a big slaughter like this, where it makes the headlines, you know, sometimes people get a little more wary of getting into the market. So in the early '90s, the story was, oh, the stock market will never go down; it will always go up, and everybody plowed <laughs> in. And there were, of course, corrections, and you know, it seemed to settle down for a bit. And now you hear at least the anecdotes on the streets, everybody's just sort of piling into it because 
Um, you know, it's a great way to make quick money. Although now sure. you get more of the story that says, where else am I going to put my money? And as Anne was saying, there are not a lot of other options, right? Real estate doesn't look so good anymore. It's not the boom market that it was. Sure. There are capital controls on sending it outside. How many consumer goods can you buy? I mean, you know, what are you going to do with, with the money? And that's that's really, I think, the thing that, that underlies what you see as, as a lot of speculative activity in the market. So then what do you see, Anne, then, then in the near term with, uh, with investors uh, and their view of China going forward? I mean, is it going to be... Uh, even with the the markets dropping, a, a spot that people will look for those those right areas, those specific spots where they can they can see growth coming uh, in the in the in the near future. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of sophisticated investors recognize that uh, China's markets are still rather embryonic. Uh, there are going to be growth pains here as the regulators try to figure out how to you know best. Uh, regulate this thing and and try to liberalize it without it causing harm to the greater economy, and uh, and so as this regime tries to liberalize this, they're going to make some mistakes along the way. Um, there are going to be course corrections. Um, I don't think that this is going to have a lasting effect on uh, the financial sector for them overall as they try to figure things out because they've been trying to do it you know slowly and piecemeal. Uh, in liberalizing it. And uh, I think a lot of folks on Wall Street are still going to see this as, you know, like the the last great, you know, gold rush for them. Uh, <laughs> and so they're not going to step away from uh, China's financial markets forever. I mean, this is something that everyone is still dying to get in, but they're waiting to see, you know, what the government's going to do next and um, and just be patient with it. You know, people have already been patient for years with this. And, uh, you know, a few you know, more years is probably not going to make a big difference. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.